Today's Commitment Sunday Stewardship Sermon hangs on two different words. You remember these two words? You pretty much have the whole sermon. Unfortunately for you, the sermon is longer than just two words. <laughs> but the first word comes right out of the gate. 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 7, at the tail end, Paul tells the Corinthian church these simple words. God loves a cheerful giver. It's one of Paul's most often quoted passages in the entire New Testament. It's a verse that can be taken apart and a whole sermon can be preached on just the different portions of that simple phrase. We hear time and time again, after all, that God loves us. That's not a surprise. God loves you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that God is love and everyone that loveth is born of God. We hear it over and over again. God loves us unconditionally, without merit or favor. But then we get to this verse in which we hear the only instance in the entire Bible where God loves somebody because of their actions. It's interesting, we often think about God's love as being unconditional. It requires no action. There's nothing we need to do to earn it or deserve it. It is not merit-based. Yet here, in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is very clear that there is one action that human beings can perform that will spark an unbridled, uninhibited love of God for us. And that action... Is giving. God loves it when people give. God loves it when people are generous. God loves it when people are compassionate. God loves it when people help those who are in need. God loves a giver. But then we get to the very first of the two important words of the morning. God doesn't love just any kind of giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there's something interesting about that word cheerful for me. It is the only case in the entire Bible where the Greek word for cheerful happens. No other place in the Bible do we get that Greek word for cheerful, which is always interesting to me. It's almost as if the Spirit of God waits for just the right time, at just the right moment, in just the right context, to spring this very special word on us. And it's very important in this context to know what that word cheerful means in the Greek language. You want to know what it means? It's the Greek word, hilaros, which is the same root word for helium and hilarity. What kind of giver does God love? God loves a hilarious giver. God loves a helium-filled giver. In fact, there was a part of me earlier this week that was very tempted to have a helium tank right here. <laughs> I was very close to buying one yesterday so I could set it here and take a swig of helium so that I could say that statement. God loves a hilarious gift. 
But, but the more I read about the medical side effects of swallowing aliens, <laughs> I heard one too many warnings on the internet that said you could get sick and die, which would sort of undermine my point. Um, regardless, God loves a hilarious giver, not, not a giver who can crack jokes, not a, not a giver who makes people laugh, not a, not a stand-up comedian kind of giver, but a giver who gives out of the motivation of lightness within one's being. From a deeply profound sense of joy and gladness that emanates from deep within one's heart. A kind of joy that says, you know what, all is well. I know I might have gotten some bad news this past week. Some shocking, surprising news. But I believe that God is in this. And I know that it feels dark and desperate in the world and I can't stand to read another terrible headline. But I believe that there is light in the world and light inside me because God has got this. And it comes from a sense of deep contentment that everything will be well because God is in it. All will be well. And that is the motivation for me to want to make the world a better place. Because God is in me. And all will be well. Let's face it. That kind of motivation is in rare supply these days. Back in May, the World Health Organization released its regular study of the most depressed countries in the world. Did a study of all the citizens on the planet and ranked which countries have populations that are the most depressed, more anxious, more worried in relation to the other countries. You want to know where the United States was? Number three. Second only behind India, number two, and China, number one. We could almost understand China as populated as it is. We could almost understand India given its pockets of poverty all around the country. But the wealthiest country on the planet, us, the United States, and arguably the wealthiest period in our entire history, how could a resident of the United States rank among the, the most desperate and depressed in the world? Could it be that there is no sure connection between wealth and happiness? Could it be that actually the pursuit of such things, the accumulation of possessions and achievements and social status, actually can prevent us from happiness rather than guarantee it? Could it be that those are precisely the things that God wants to set us free from? Could it be that despite the fact that Americans work longer hours than ever before and sleep less than they ever have, that we are in fact more desperate and depressed and lonely and isolated and irritated and agitated and lonely than ever before. Cheerfulness doesn't come from outside you. It doesn't come from trying to accumulate more stuff that's external to you or trying to look better to people who are on the outside. Cheerfulness comes from deep inside you.
And there is only one source for that cheerfulness. Make no mistake about it. Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians 9. The only true source for cheerfulness and joy comes from the grace of God. This is what he says. God has the power to provide you with more than enough of every kind of grace. That way you will have everything you need always and in everything to provide more than enough for every kind of good work. If you're feeling pressed in by deadlines, if you're feeling irritated by others, if you're feeling forlorn about the future, there is only one source that will give you all that you need to do every kind of work, Paul says. It's not external to you. It is the free gift of God's grace that operates in you. Because it does two things. One, it makes you right with God. And two, it makes you right with others. And when you are right with God, and when you are surrounded by people who love you, come what may, all will be well. That's what God's grace does. It sets us in a right, forgiven relationship with God, which money cannot buy, which works cannot afford, which you do not deserve, but God has done it all. And the second thing is, it has surrounded you with the most valuable gift you will have on this planet. The gift of relationships with other people that love you. With family, with friends, and with a church, a community of people that loves you for who you are. That does not just welcome you or tolerate you, but accepts you for all that you are. The relationships you have with others is a currency that is invaluable. And Paul wants you to remember your priorities in putting people over possessions, in putting community over your achievements. I watched an interview once with the great theologian Louis C.K., <laughs> one of the more popular stand-up comedians in the country right now. He made an appearance not too long ago on the late night talk show, Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So now you see what I graze for my sermon material. <laughs> now, for those of you who follow the stand-up comic, you know that I can hardly quote much of his stand-up routine in church. But you also may know that for years he has been railing against... Devices, technology, communication devices like cell phones and smartphones that were designed in some ways to make us more productive, to make us more efficient, to connect us with people. But in fact, overuse of these silly little things has produced the opposite effect. It has rendered us unable to have really private, intimate, physical relationships to be in the presence of people and to be able to engage them eye to eye and face to face. And in fact, instead of making us more productive and efficient, it's made us more irritable and more agitated and less able to simply be in the physical presence with people. So a while ago, he decided to limit his cell phone use. But in this interview last spring, he decided to take it one step further. He said, I've not only given up smartphones, he said, I've given up the entire internet. 
And he told a story. He said, uh, he, he said, I don't, I don't like the way that this feels anymore, he said. Especially in my hand, the, the devices. I don't, I don't like this thing, that, I, that I'm always staring into this thing. And then he said that when his cell phone goes off to indicate a new email, or a ding goes off to indicate a new Twitter notification, it becomes distracting, even when he's in the room with family members. He said, one day, I pulled out my phone because I got a little ding, and then I looked at the screen, and then for a split second, he left, his eyes left the screen, and they noticed the face of his 10-year-old daughter who was there with him. And he said, the look on the face of that 10-year-old daughter said, she, she dies inside every time I do this. He said, she dies a little inside every time I do this. Coincidentally, this happened to me this past week. Before I get into the rest of Louis's story, I was sitting at dinner with my younger daughter, Madeline. Older daughter, Grace, was at a school event, and so it was just me and Madeline. We're having dinner at a restaurant. We decided to go out this particular night. It was just the two of us sitting at the table. And then the ding happened. You know, the ding, I, I immediately thought, this, this has to be a world-shattering email that just came into my phone. <laughs> This has to be the bishop himself calling me for the most important reason on the planet. I'm sure that there is kingdom-hinging news that has just entered my little smartphone, and I have to take it. So I fished it out of my pocket. I opened up my phone. I started to read the email when all of a sudden, a hand, a young Teenage, <laughs> female, Filipino hand <laughs> took that phone and pushed it down onto the table and flipped it upside down. And then I looked at her face. She didn't have to say a word. People are more important than phones, aren't they? And so Louis C.K. goes on with his story. He decided to do a drastic thing to remedy his situation. He asked his 10-year-old daughter to change the password on all of his devices and to block him out of the Internet entirely. By the time he did this interview with Conan O'Brien, he had been off the Internet for a full month. This is what he said. He said, it's been about a month. <laughs> I haven't Googled anything, he said. Now, when I don't know the answer to something, instead of Google, I just go up to random strangers and walk up to people <laughs> and ask them questions and stuff. He says, it's a lot more fun to do that. What's great is, with all the new free time that he's accumulated since he's let go of this thing, he's been actually been able to be more productive than he ever had before. He's been able to read an actual book. You know what a book is, right? It's paper, it's bound together, it's right there. He said he's been able to read Pride and Prejudice. 
And then he read a very important paper. It was a note that his 10-year-old daughter had written to him, not only with appreciation, but with pride in what her dad, dad had been able to accomplish. This is what the note said. It said, I am really proud of you for cutting yourself off from the internet and reading a book. <laughs> a 10-year-old proud of her dad for reading a book. She said, I want you to know that what you did means a lot to me. And I really enjoy seeing your pleasure and not constantly being on your devices. Now we get a sense of why God loves cheerful givers. Because when God sees us Actually getting it right and getting our priorities straight and not sweating the small stuff and learning how to trust and learning how to be content in all things and realizing that people are more important than possessions and realizing that a community of faith is more invaluable than anything money can buy. When God sees that we get it straight, no wonder God loves it. No wonder God loves a cheerful giver. There's a part of your heart this morning that needs to be recalibrated. If it needs to be reoriented around the things that really matter. Faith and trust instead of nervousness and fear. Relationships of love and affection rather than possessions and wealth. And our prayer is that you will do so so that you can discover a likeness in your being, a helium in your soul that will enable you to give of yourself, not out of duty and obligation, but out of good cheer. And that brings me to the second of the two very important words for today's sermon. It actually comes before God loves a cheerful giver, right out of the gate, 2 Corinthians 9 Verse 7, Paul says this, Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. That's the second important word for the day. The word is decided. Other translations call it purposed or chosen. Regardless, just like cheerful only happens once in the whole New Testament, the Greek word for decided only happens a handful of times in the entire Bible. Now listen for the common thread among each of these instances in which the word decided was used. The first is in Philippians, where Paul is encouraging the Christians to decide which kind of life they're going to live. A life according to God's love or a life according to the flesh. Second is in Thessalonians, where God has decided to offer us salvation rather than eternal damnation. The third is in Hebrews, where the author is encouraging people to decide to endure a life of suffering and temporal and temporary suffering in order for eternal reward, rather than to seek temporal pleasures which will lead to eternal ruin. Do you hear the commonality among each of these? 
Whenever this word decided is used, it's not to describe little, tiny, minor decisions that you and I make today. Like whether we'll have coffee or tea in the morning, or whether what clothes we'll wear today, or whether we'll take a shower now or take one later. I take one every morning in case you can. <laughs> this kind of decision is life or death. It is about eternity. It is about that which will outlive us. And that is the kind of decision that is the most important decision we'll make. Whether or not we will be used by God to touch the future. And that is exactly the context for your commitment card this morning. That very same commitment card that you received in the mail a few weeks ago. The very same pledge card that's right there in your pew racks. In case you need one to fill out today. You know, we don't, we don't do stewardship around here out of guilt or fear. We don't ask people to turn in commitment cards out of obligation or duty. We... Invite people to give of their resources to God because we really do believe it will make an eternal impact. That this is exactly the kind of decision that Paul was talking about in these times in the New Testament. Whether or not we will choose to touch eternity or whether or not we'll use our resources to seek temporary pleasures that will lead to eternal ruin. And we choose to do so cheerfully. Because we choose to place people and community and love over everything else. Just think about it. Think about the way in which this commitment card will be less about helping the church meet its budget. Or less about fundraising. And more about the eternal impact that your gift will make long after we're gone. Think about the fact that your gift will help someone experience God's love in such a way that their life will be transformed through the ministries of the portico, our new frontline ministry that will reach out to spiritually unchurched and spiritually hungry people. Think about the way that your cheerful giving will make an impact in young boys and girls through our youth and children's ministries so that a whole generation of people can be shaped just like our Faith Steps kids have been shaped today. Think about the way that your cheerful giving will make an impact not just here in Tampa but all around the world in partnership with our missionaries and our mission agencies all around the planet. That is the reason for giving cheerfully. And deciding to touch the future. And that's what we're going to ask you to do in a few short moments. We're going to ask you to turn in your commitment card for this year. You may choose to simply place it in the offering plate during the offertory when it goes by. Or you may choose during the closing hymn with everybody standing. You might choose to walk your commitment card up to the altar rail and place it in one of these baskets. And as an act of prayerful commitment, you might choose to simply pray here at the altar rail for any needs that you might have. And if, if you'd like a pastor to pray for you, Sally and I will be there. 
If you didn't bring your card today, they're available for you right there in the pew rack. Or you may simply go online, go to our website, and there will be a site that you can click on and, and visit. You, you might even choose, dare I say, to use your smartphone to uh, fill out your pledge, but not while your kids are watching. Regardless, this is a time for us to give cheerfully and decidedly to make an impact for the future. And you know what happens? Whenever the people of God give cheerfully and decidedly, God loves it. God loves it. Let's pray. God, how can we possibly thank you for the lavishness of your grace? For the gift that you have given to us, not only in having a right relationship with you, but in being blessed by the relationships in our lives. Could it be that you are simply asking us to give of ourselves, to strengthen both our love for you and our love for others? Help us in these moments as we ponder our commitments for the upcoming year. To give cheerfully with priorities that are straight, that see eternity in context, and to do so intentionally so that we can truly touch the future. What an awesome gift you have given to us. And now we give these gifts to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord.